Chapter One of the Amateur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. The Amateur by Richard Harding Davis. Chapter One. It was February of the banks, and so thick was the weather that on the upper decks one could have driven a sleigh. Inside the smoking-room, Austin Ford, as securely sheltered from the blizzard as though he had been sitting in front of a wood-fire at his club, ordered hot gin for himself and the ship's doctor. The ship's doctor had gone below on another hurry-call from the widow. At the first luncheon on board, the widow had sat on the right of Dr. Sparrow, with Austin Ford facing her. But since then, except to the doctor, she had been invisible. So, at frequent intervals, the ill health of the widow had deprived Ford of the society of the doctor. That it deprived him also of the society of the widow did not concern him. Her life had not been spent upon ocean liners. She could not remember when staterooms were named after the states of the Union. She could not tell him of shipwrecks and salvage, of smugglers and of the modern pirates who found their victims in the smoking-room. Ford was on his way to England to act as the London correspondent of the New York Republic. For three years on that most sensational of the New York dailies, he had been the star-man, the chief muckraker, the chief sleuth. His interest was in crime, not in crimes committed in passion or inspired by drink, but in such offences against law and society as are perpetrated with nice intelligence. The murderer, the burglar, the strong-arm men, who in side-streets waylay respectable citizens, did not appeal to him. The man he studied, pursued, and exposed was the cashier who evolved a new method of covering up his peculations, the dishonest president of an insurance company, the confidence man who used no concealed weapon other than his wit. Towards the criminals he pursued, young Ford felt no personal animosity. He harassed them as he would have shot a hawk killing chickens. Not because he disliked the hawk, but because the battle was unequal, and because he felt sorry for the chickens. Had you called Austin Ford an amateur detective, he would have been greatly annoyed. He argued that his position was similar to that of the dramatic critic. The dramatic critic warned the public against bad plays. Ford warned it against bad men. Having done that, he left it to the public to determine whether the bad man should thrive or perish. When the managing editor told him of his appointment to London, Ford had protested that his work lay in New York, that of London and the English, except as a tourist or sightseer, he knew nothing. 
that's just why we are sending you explained the managing editor our readers are ignorant to make them read about london you've got to tell them about themselves in london they like to know who's been presented at court about the american girls who have married dukes and which ones opened a bazaar and which one opened a hat shop and which is getting a divorce don't send us anything concerning suffragettes and dreadnoughts just send us stuff about americans if you take your meals in the carlton grill room and drink at the cecil you can pick up more good stories than we can print you will find lots of your friends over there some of those girls who married dukes he suggested know you don't they not since they married dukes said ford oh well anyway all your other friends will be there continued the managing editor encouragingly now that they have shut up the tracks here all the con men have gone to london they say an american can't take a drink at the salisbury without his fellow-countrymen having a fight as to which one will sell him a gold brick ford's eyes lightened in pleasurable anticipation look them over urged the managing editor and sent us a special call it the american invasion don't you see a story in it it will be the first one i send you said ford the ship's doctor returned from his visit below decks and sank into the leather cushion close to ford's elbow for a few moments the older man sipped doubtfully at his gin and water and as though perplexed rubbed his hand over his bald and shining head i told her to talk to you he said fretfully huh who inquired ford oh the widow you were right about that said dr sparrow she is not a widow the reporter smiled complacently do you know why i thought not he demanded because all the time she was at luncheon she kept turning over her wedding ring as though she was not used to it it was a new ring too i told you then she was not a widow do you always notice things like that asked the doctor not on purpose said the amateur detective i can't help it i see ten things where other people see only one just as some men run ten times as fast as other men we have tried it out often at the office put all sorts of junk under a newspaper lifted the paper for five seconds and then each man wrote down what he had seen out of twenty things i would remember seventeen the next best guess would be about nine once i saw a man lift his coat collar to hide his face it was in the grand central station i stopped him and told him he was wanted turned out he was wanted it was goldberg making his getaway to canada it is a gift said the doctor no it's a nuisance laughed the reporter i see so many things i don't want to say i see that people are wearing clothes that are not made for them i see when women are lying to me i can see when men are on the verge of a nervous breakdown and whether it is drink or debt or morphine 
the doctor snorted triumphantly you did not see that the widow was on the verge of a breakdown no returned the reporter is she i'm sorry if you're sorry urged the doctor eagerly you'll help her she's going to london alone to find her husband he has disappeared she thinks that he has been murdered or that he is lying ill in some hospital i told her if any one could help her to find him you could i had to say something she's very ill to find her husband in london repeated ford london is a large town she has photographs of him and she knows where he spends his time pleaded the doctor he's a company promoter it should be easy for you maybe he doesn't want her to find him said ford then it wouldn't be so easy for me the old doctor sighed heavily i know he murmured i thought of that too and she is so very pretty that was another thing i noticed said ford the doctor gave no heed she must stop worrying he exclaimed or she will have a mental collapse i have tried sedatives but they don't touch her i want to give her courage she is frightened she's left a baby boy at home and she's fearful that something will happen to him and she is frightened at being at sea frightened at being alone in london it's pitiful the old man shook his head pitiful will you talk to her now he asked nonsense exclaimed ford she doesn't want to tell the story of her life to strange young men but it was she suggested it cried the doctor she asked me if you were austin ford the great detective ford snorted scornfully she did not he protested his tone was that of a man who hopes to be contradicted but she did insisted the doctor and i told her your specialty was tracing persons her face lightened at once it gave her hope she will listen to you speak very gently and kindly and confidently say you are sure you can find him where is the lady now asked ford dr sparrow scrambled eagerly to his feet she cannot leave her cabin he answered the widow as ford and dr sparrow still thought of her was lying on the sofa that ran the length of the state-room parallel with the lower berth she was fully dressed except that instead of her bodice she wore a kimono that left her throat and arms bare she had been sleeping and when their entrance awoke her her blue eyes regarded them uncomprehendingly ford hidden from her by the doctor observed that not only was she very pretty but that she was absurdly young and that the drowsy smile she turned upon the old man before she noted the presence of ford was as innocent as that of a baby her cheeks were flushed her eyes brilliant her yellow curls had become loosened and were spread upon the pillow when she saw ford she caught the kimono so closely around her throat that she choked 
had the doctor not pushed her down she would have stood i thought she stammered he was an old man the doctor misunderstanding hastened to reassure her mr ford is old in experience he said soothingly he has had remarkable success why he found a criminal once just because the man wore a collar and he found walsh the burglar and phillips the forger and a gang of counterfeiters mrs ashton turned upon him her eyes white with wonder but my husband she protested is not a criminal my dear lady the doctor cried i did not mean that of course not i meant if mr ford can find men who don't wish to be found how easy for him to find a man who he turned helplessly to ford you tell her he begged ford sat down on a steamer trunk that protruded from beneath the berth and turning to the widow gave her the full benefit of his working smile it was confiding helpless appealing it showed a trustfulness in the person to whom it was addressed that caused that individual to believe ford needed protection from a wicked world dr sparrow tells me began ford timidly you have lost your husband's address that you will let me try to find him if i can help in any way i should be glad the young girl regarded him apparently with disappointment it was as though dr sparrow had led her to expect a man full of years and authority a man upon whom she could learn not a youth whose smile seemed to beg one not to scold him she gave ford three photographs bound together with a string when dr sparrow told me you could help me i got out these she said ford jotted down a mental note to the effect that she got them out that is she did not keep them where she could always look at them that she was not used to look at them was evident by the fact that they were bound together the first photograph showed three men standing in an open place and leaning on a railing one of them was smiling toward the photographer he was a good-looking young man of about thirty years of age well fed well dressed and apparently well satisfied with the world and himself ford's own smile had disappeared his eyes were alert and interested the one with the panama hat pulled down over his eyes is your husband he asked yes assented the widow her tone showed slight surprise this was taken about a year ago inquired ford it must have been he answered himself they haven't raced at the bay since then this was taken in front of the club stand probably for the telegraph he lifted his eyes inquiringly rising on her elbow the young wife bent forward toward the photograph does it say that there she asked doubtfully how did you guess that in his role as chorus the ship's doctor exclaimed with enthusiasm didn't i tell you he's wonderful 
ford cut him off impatiently you never saw a rail as high as that except around a race-track he muttered and the badge in his buttonhole and the angle of the stand all show he interrupted himself to address the widow this is an owner's badge what was the name of his stable i don't know she answered she regarded the young man with sudden uneasiness they only owned one horse but i believe that gave them the privilege of-i see exclaimed ford your husband is a bookmaker but in london he is a promoter of companies so my friend tells me said mrs ashton she's just got back from london her husband told her that harry my husband was always at the american bar in the cecil or at the salisbury or at the savoy the girl shook her head but a woman can't go looking for a man there she protested that's why i thought you that'll be all right ford assured her hurriedly it's a coincidence but it happens that my own work takes me to these hotels and if your husband is there i will find him he returned the photographs hadn't you better keep one she asked i won't forget him said the reporter besides he turned his eyes toward the doctor and as though thinking aloud said he may have grown a beard there was a pause the eyes of the woman grew troubled her lips pressed together as though in a sudden access of pain and he may ford continued have changed his name as though fearful if she spoke the tears would fall the girl nodded her head stiffly having learned what he wanted to know ford applied to the wound a soothing ointment of promises and encouragement he's as good as found he protested you will see him in a day two days after you land the girl's eyes opened happily she clasped her hands together and raised them you will try she begged you will find him for me she corrected herself eagerly for me and the baby the loose sleeves of the kimono fell back to her shoulders showing the white arms her eyes raised to ford were glistening with tears of course i will find him growled the reporter he freed himself from the appeal in the eyes of the young mother and left the cabin the doctor followed he was bubbling over with enthusiasm that was fine he cried you said just the right thing there will be no collapse now his satisfaction was swept away in a burst of disgust the blackguard he protested to desert a wife as young as that and as pretty as that so i have been thinking said the reporter i guess he added gravely what is going to happen is that before i find her husband i will have got to know him pretty well apparently young mrs ashton believed everything would come to pass just as ford promised it would and as he chose to order it 
for the next day with a colour not born of fever in her cheeks and courage in her eyes she joined ford and the doctor at the luncheon-table her attention was concentrated on the younger man in him she saw the one person who could bring her husband to her she acts growled the doctor later in the smoking-room as though she was afraid you were going to back out of your promise and jump overboard don't think he protested violently it's you she's interested in all she sees in you is what you can do for her can you see that anyone as clever at seeing things as i am returned the reporter cannot help but see that later as ford was walking on the upper deck mrs ashton came toward him beating her way against the wind without a trace of coquetry or self-consciousness and with a sigh of content she laid her hand on his arm when i don't see you she exclaimed as simply as a child i feel so frightened when i see you i know all will come right do you mind if i walk with you she asked and do you mind if every now and then i ask you to tell me again it will all come right for the three days following mrs ashton and ford were constantly together or at least mrs ashton was constantly with ford she told him that when she sat in her cabin the old fears returned to her and in these moments of panic she searched the ship for him the doctor protested that he was growing jealous i am not so greatly to be envied suggested ford harry at meals three times a day and on deck all the rest of the day becomes monotonous on a closer acquaintance with harry he seems to be a decent sort of young man at least he seems to have been at one time very much in love with her well sighed the doctor sentimentally she is certainly very much in love with harry ford shook his head non-committingly i don't know her story he said don't want to know it the ship was in the channel on her way to cherbourg and running as smoothly as a clock from the shore friendly lights told them they were nearing their journey's end that the land was on every side seated on a steamer chair next to his in the semi-darkness of the deck mrs ashton began to talk nervously and eagerly now that we are so near she murmured i have got to tell you something if you did not know i would feel i had not been fair you might think that when you were doing so much for me i should have been more honest she drew a long breath it's so hard she said wait commanded ford is it going to help me to find him no then don't tell me his tone caused the girl to start she leaned toward him and peered into his face his eyes as he looked back to her were kind and comprehending you mean said the amateur detective that your husband has deserted you that if it were not for the baby you would not try to find him is that it 
Mrs. Ashton breathed quickly and turned her face away. "'Yes,' she whispered. "'That is it.' There was a long pause. When she faced him again, the fact that there was no longer a secret between them seemed to give her courage. "'Maybe,' she said, "'you can understand. Maybe you can tell me what it means. I have thought and thought. I have gone over it and over it until when I go back to it my head aches. I have done nothing else but think, and I can't make it seem better.' I can't find any excuses. I have had no one to talk to, no one I could tell. I have thought maybe a man could understand. She raised her eyes appealingly. If you can only make it seem less cruel, don't you see? She cried miserably. I want to believe. I want to forgive him. I want to think he loves me. Oh, I want so to be able to love him. But how can I? I can't, I can't. In the week in which they had been thrown together, the girl unconsciously had told Ford much about herself and her husband. What she now told him was but an amplification of what he had guessed. She had met Ashton a year and a half before, when she had just left school at the convent and had returned to live with her family. Her home was at Far Rockaway. Her father was a cashier in a bank at Long Island City. One night, with a party of friends, she had been taken to a dance at one of the beach hotels, and there met Ashton. At that time he was one of a firm that was making book at the aqueduct race-track. The girl had met very few men, and with them was shy and frightened, but with Ashton she found herself at once at ease. That night he drove her and her friends home in his touring-car, and the next day they teased her about her conquest. It made her very happy. After that she went to hops at the hotel, and as the bookmaker did not dance, the two young people sat upon the piazza. Then Ashton came to see her at her own house, but when her father learned that the young man who had been calling upon her was a bookmaker, he told him he could not associate with his daughter. But the girl was now deeply in love with Ashton, and apparently he with her. He begged her to marry him. They knew that to this, partly from prejudice and partly owing to his position in the bank, her father would object. Accordingly, they agreed that in August, when the racing moved to Saratoga, they would run away and get married at that place. Their plan was that Ashton would leave for Saratoga with the other racing men, and that she would join him the next day. They had arranged to be married by a magistrate, and Ashton had shown her a letter from one at Saratoga, who consented to perform the ceremony. He had given her an engagement ring and two thousand dollars, which he asked her to keep for him, lest tempted at the track he should lose it. But she assured Ford it was not such material things as a letter, a ring, or a gift of money that had led her to trust Ashton. His fear of losing her, his complete subjection to her wishes, his happiness in her presence, all seemed to prove that to make her happy was his one wish, 
and that he could do anything to make her unhappy appeared impossible they were married in the morning she arrived at saratoga and the same day departed for niagara falls and quebec the honeymoon lasted ten days they were ten days of complete happiness no one so the girl declared could have been more kind more unselfishly considerate than her husband they returned to saratoga and engaged a suit of rooms at one of the big hotels ashton was not satisfied with the rooms shown him and leaving her upstairs returned to the office floor to ask for others since that moment his wife had never seen him nor heard from him on the day of her marriage young mistress ashton had written to her father asking him to give her his good wishes and pardon he refused both as she had feared he did not consider that for a bank clerk a gambler made a desirable son-in-law and the letters he wrote his daughter were so bitter that in reply she informed him he had forced her to choose between her family and her husband and that she chose her husband in consequence when she found herself deserted she felt she could not return to her people she remained in saratoga there she moved into cheap lodgings and in order that the two thousand dollars ashton had left with her might be saved for his child she had learned to typewrite and after four months had been able to support herself within the last month a girlfriend who had known both ashton and herself before they were married had written her that her husband was living in london for the sake of her son she had at once determined to make an effort to seek him out the son nonsense exclaimed the doctor when ford retold the story she is not crossing the ocean because she is worried about the future of her son she seeks her own happiness the woman is in love with her husband ford shook his head i don't know he objected she's so extravagant in her praise of harry that it seems unreal it sounds insincere then again when i swear i will find him she shows a delight that you might describe as savage almost vindictive as though if i did find harry the first thing she would do would be to stick a knife in him maybe volunteered the doctor sadly she has heard there is a woman in the case maybe she is the one she's thinking of sticking the knife into well declared the reporter if she doesn't stop looking savage every time i promise to find harry i won't find harry why should i act the part of fate anyway how do i know that harry hasn't got a wife in london and several in the states how do we know he didn't leave his country for his country's good that's what it looks like to me how can we tell what confronted him the day he went down to the hotel desk to change his rooms and instead got into his touring car and beat the speed limit to canada whom did he meet in the hotel corridor a woman with a perfectly good marriage certificate or a detective with a perfectly good warrant or did harry find out that his bride had a devil of a temper of her own and that for him marriage was a failure 
the widow is certainly a very charming young woman but there may be two sides to this you are a cynic sir protested the doctor that may be growled the reporter but i am not a private detective agency or a matrimonial bureau and before i hear myself saying bless you my children both of these young people will have to show me why they should not be kept asunder End of chapter one